All right, good morning, you guys. I hope you are all having a good weekend. And today we actually start kind of a little Christmas, I guess you'd call it a series, right? And this morning we're going to be looking at Christmas past. And I'm excited to jump into Isaiah, and we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Now, as we get ready for Christmas, um, i got to be honest with you, I am a really bad Christmas person when it comes to the whole tradition of, I, I don't know what my wife buys our kids. My kids, you know, we, they open up presents and they say, thank you, go, oh, you're welcome. You know, I worked really hard at picking that out. Um, and if I were to walk through the mall today as people are hustling and bustling and shopping, and I were to walk up to them and ask them, hey, by the way, what does Christmas mean to you? What kind of answers do you think I would get? All kinds, right? Happiness, joy, family, food, gatherings, mistletoes, um, angel hair, Christmas trees, lights. You know, if you were to ask Stevie Wonder, he's got a great song called What Does Christmas Mean to Me? And I was actually going to lip sync it for you guys tonight but, or today, but I decided not to because that would just be going a little too far. Um, but if you listen to Stevie Wonder's song, you know, all those things are included in what Christmas means to me. This morning, what I want to do is I want to do my very best to show you through Isaiah's eyes, what did Christmas mean to Isaiah? What did Isaiah see that Christmas was all about? And so let's join in and let's jump in and just read. The first thing we're going to do is just read Isaiah. I'm going to start actually... Not here because I'm in Psalms for some reason. I need to get to Isaiah. Isaiah 9. I'm going to start in um, chapter 8, verse 22, so we can get the whole picture. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into th thick darkness. But... There will be no gloom for her who is, was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have, been, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to upbuild it, uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that. Now, 
What I want to do first is kind of just back up for a second and, and kind of give you a rough idea about what's going on in Isaiah. Isaiah is this book. Isaiah, this prophet. He is prophesying, and he's speaking to Israel. He's speaking specifically to Judah and to Jerusalem. And, and, and he's talk, it's all about judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. Hope and judgment. And I think when people saw Isaiah coming, oh, great, what's it going to be today? Is it going to be judgment or is it going to be hope? And we see that all throughout Isaiah. That's kind of the pattern we see. And so what we see here, just to kind of give you a little backstory, because I think it'll help us as we get, jump into this text, is Isaiah is at that point where he's proclaiming judgment on Israel. Because of their lack of trusting God, because of their sin, because they are not following God like God intended them to, God is going to bring judgment on them. And it's going to be through the Assyrians. And the Assyrians are going to come from the north. They're going to come down and they're going to sweep all the way through northern Israel. Remember at this point, Israel is divided into northern kingdom and southern kingdom. He's, they're going to sweep down, come through the northern part of Israel, all the way down to Jerusalem. But they're not going to conquer Jerusalem. They don't conquer Jerusalem but they come down, they don't take it over yet, because we know Babylon does that later, but they totally just devastate all of northern Israel. And so what happens is Isaiah's prophesying this. And what's interesting, whenever God um, uh, brings anguish or gloom or, or justice for our sin... He says something like this, you have sinned, you have done wrong, but I'm going to provide a way out. And that's what we see here in Isaiah, and that's where I want to start with. I want to start with this word, but. So we're going to start our Christmas past message on the word, but. Okay? Forgive me. Um, but before I do that, I want to say something. And this is just kind of a side note. So this is a bonus, all right? You're getting a little bonus today. When Isaiah is speaking here, and I want to bring this up now because you're going to see it throughout this text. When Isaiah is speaking here, and he's going through this, and this message, what I loved about it as I was reading through this is, is it's as if it's happening right now. He's proclaiming this as if it's happening this moment, there's this aspect of faith that Isaiah has that this is going to take place as he's giving this message to Israel that I think is so important to understand. Because faith plays a big part in Christmas, doesn't it? Without faith, Christmas is nothing more than mistletoes, angel hair, family, food, presents, Shopping, that's all it is. And we see that Isaiah had a faith. Even though he couldn't see, I'm now, I'm, now I'm going back to Hebrews chapter 11. Even though Isaiah could not see visually with his own eyes what was coming, but he knew because he had faith in God. Kind of reminds me of the, the movie Elf. At the end of Elf... The Santa's sleigh, it's not flying because people just don't believe anymore. You know what I'm saying? And so Elf, man, he's trying to get people to believe and have faith. 
And the more people believe and have faith, that's going to get that sleigh up and going. But guess what, guys? We have a God that is not a, he doesn't depend on our faith to get him up and going and moving. He's already moving. He's already at work. He's already done this. And that's what Isaiah is saying. It, our faith is not dependent. God's not dependent on our faith. We are dependent on what God has already done, the reality of who he is and his promises. And so God's not moved by our faith. God's movement, God's power, who he is, moves our faith. And so my faith in God is not because of a feeling, but it's because of who he is and what he has done. And I best can describe it in Isaiah. This is going to be my last little bit on this, and then we're going to move on. Isaiah 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Excuse me, um, not Isaiah, Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and and greeted them from after and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. They had faith. They received received the things that were promised. And that's what we see Isaiah doing. He had this faith and believed in what was promised. And he knew it was coming. So here is our big idea for today. Our big idea is this. What if Christmas isn't meant to highlight the joys of life? But what if Christmas was meant to shine light on the darkness of it? Because that's what we see in this passage We see darkness, we see gloom, we see anguish, we see what Israel's about ready to go through with Assyria, and and, and then all of a sudden, Isaiah brings in this big word, but. But there will be no gloom for her. There will be no anguish, there will be no contempt. It's like this, I was blind, but now I can see. I was lost, but the good shepherd Jesus found me. I was seeking the truth, but the good shepherd who is the way, the truth, and the life showed me the truth. We could go on and on. I was sinful, but I've been forgiven. And that's what we're seeing here is this big but is pointing to what we're going to see next. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see two main things in this passage. The first one is going to be we're going to see um, the hope of Christmas past described, and then we're going to see the hope of Christmas past explained. And that's what we see um, Isaiah doing. So let's just jump in now. If we, if we move down in verse 1, again we see uh, he says, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but... In the latter time, he has made glorious. You see that but there again. The way of this sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Just so we can kind of get our geography here, what he's talking about is this. And I think this is so cool. The one area that got devastated the most, northern Israel, in this area, um, they were the ones that were committing the sin. They were just a mess. But... In God's mercy and God's grace, this is the place he, Jesus goes to first. Jesus goes there first. 
He goes to this region, and what's interesting is later on in the New Testament, we know that this region is called Samaria, and the Jewish people look down on Samaritans. They consider them dogs. But this was an area around Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, and around this area was where Jesus focused most of his time in ministry. Now, around the Sea of Galilee, what's interesting is there were nations. It wasn't just Jewish people. There was a Hellenistic culture from the Greeks' past. There was different. There was Gentiles. Remember, Rome was ruling at the time. And so we see not just this message of hope for Israel, but we see a message of hope that God promised Abraham way back in Genesis when he said, nations will be blessed because of you. And we're seeing that it's not just about the Israel, but it's about nations. It's about the Gentiles. It's about the whole world getting a chance to experience and enjoy what's coming. And so Isaiah is trying to describe to the people what this looks like. Look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Here we see he's using this word light. What does light do? Light dispels darkness. Light brings, for lack of a better word, brings to light the mess and the chaos that's there. Now, from Isaiah's perspective, remember, we're trying to see this through the lens of Isaiah. And it's, I, I catch myself always trying to see this through the lens of Curtis in 2023. But in the lens of Isaiah and in the lens of the peers at this time, what they were seeing and what they were going to see was complete devastation. Their lives were going to be completely turned upside down. And so culturally, spiritually, physically, Israel was going to be in disarray. And he's saying there's going to become a day where there's light's going to come. And this light is going to dispel the darkness. And it's going to help you see truly what's there, what's present in front of you. And I think that that is a huge truth for us today. Jesus being the light when we let the light in, and we're willing to just let the light come into our lives, let it sink in, all of a sudden it starts opening up the darkness. It starts dispelling the mess, the chaos in our lives. And you know what? Especially at this period of, our, of, of or this season right now that we're in, that's not a place that we want to go to. A lot of times we don't want to see the chaos and the mess in our own lives. We would rather just kind of stay in the darkness, you know, keep the lights off. But God was going to send a light that was going to come in and dispel all that darkness and, and bring to light what's really going on. But in order for that to happen, it requires faith. It requires a faith to say, you know what, I acknowledge this light. I believe that this light is real and it's going to direct me and guide me and lead me in the life that I am called to live. That God designed for me to live as part of my DNA. As part of who he's created me to be. 
And they were missing out on that. So this light had shone on them. Now what's interesting is I love how he, in verse 3, he says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased, increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So he uses light and darkness, that contrast, as a way to describing um, this Christmas past. Now he uses a different word, and that's joy. And I think these are words that we can identify with. And I love the fact that he talks about the nations. It's going to be multiplied. Again, we see that this is not just going to be Israel, but the nations are going to be blessed. It's going to be multiplied through the nations, and there's going to be a joy. See, joy and happiness are two different things. Christmas can be a happy time. Man, I, it's happy. Our kids are happy. They're going to be getting gifts. They're anticipating. They're excited. There's a happiness. But a joy is something that's internal. A joy is something that no matter how dark, no matter how bad things get, I can still have this inner joy. And that is what Isaiah is getting at. And he uses, he uses and in this culture, they would have gotten this. In our culture today, we might not get it as well. But he uses the, the harvest. You know, these people would toil and work hard towards the harvest and preparing for the harvest. And I grew up as a farm kid in, in California. My dad was a cattle rancher, and I grew up in a farming community. And, and I'm even a farmer today. I farm coffee. And if you don't believe it, come to my house. I got some small coffee plants that I have nursed along. I won't tell you where I got them. Um, but I got these coffee plants, and I started nursing them and farming them. And about a year ago, I got my first harvest. It was exciting, you guys. I went through the whole process. I picked these cherries, and they're nice, pretty red. Um, I, I did all the work. Jen, my wife, helped me. We had to dry them out. We had to peel everything. And then we had to let them dry until they were really, really dry. And it came time to enjoy these be this coffee beans. I roasted them myself. And what I'm not telling you is my harvest was kind of small. I had enough for one cup of coffee. But I got to tell you, that coffee was amazing. And a year ago, last Thanksgiving, our family was all there. And we all got a chance to celebrate the harvest of the coffee. And with joy and happiness and excitement and anticipation, we all sipped on that one cup of coffee. And my oldest son said, that's the best cup of coffee I've ever had. I don't know if he was lying or not, but it made me feel good. So I, I get the idea of the harvest, you know, celebrating. But these people, they were celebrating with joy because of the harvest. And so uh, Isaiah's using this as an example, as an illustration of this is what it's going to be like. Now, he uses another illustration, too, that, again, we might not understand. But he goes on in verse 4. And he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's using some words, some illustrations here that the Israelites would get. Because Israel had been, since Egypt, they had been under the burden, under the yoke of slavery. They have been oppressed 
They had been driven with a rod. They had been pushed around. They had been, they had been under the rule of other people. They had been fighting. And what's interesting, a lot of this Israel brought on themselves. A lot of times we might think, man, life is just not going my way. And I have to ask myself, so how much of it have I brought on myself? And Israel had brought a lot of this on themselves, some of it not. But God had a purpose and a plan. And what we see here is he uses the illustration. He uses and describes what took place with Midian way back in the Judges. Um, God had called Gideon to go and fight the Midianites and to take the Midianites out. The Midianites have been ruling over Israel. And Gideon, what did Gideon say? Gideon said, God, how can I do that? I'm like, we're like the smallest of everybody. We're not, we're not very big. And me, I can't do this. I'm weak. This is not something I can do. He was intimidated and scared. And God said, I will be with you. I will do this. And if we remember the story, they had a big army of thousands. And God said, no, that's too many people. He weaned it down to a smaller number. You know, that's still too many. And it ended up being how many? 300. 300. God wanted Israel to know that it was going to be him freeing them from the Midianites. Not them, but him. So we're seeing something. We're seeing Isaiah with a theme here. We're seeing him describe um, light, joy. And then he uses this word, and we're going to see this word over and over again here, these next couple of verses, you. You have multiplied. You have broken as on the day of Midian. It was God who set them free from slavery. It was God who set them free from the Midianites. It was God doing the work. God wanted to eliminate every possibility of them being able to take credit for what they were doing. And you know what? That goes into effect today. Because a lot of times in our sinful human nature, in our fallenness, in our brokenness, we want to try to fix things ourselves. And God is saying, no. It's not you. I can only heal your brokenness. I can only heal and fix what's broken inside. The sin in your life, I can only cleanse and take care of. And, and that is what Isaiah is pointing to. He's pointing to this light that's going to set us free from darkness. And he uses all these different descriptions to help them understand and see what this looks like and what it's going to be like for them. And so we're seeing here in this passage, something that we're going to see is we're going to see Christmas past, but we're also going to start seeing a Christmas future, and we're also going to see a Christmas present. So you're going to have to come the next two weeks to find out what the future and present are hold for us um, here at the Grove. So if we look at verse 5, now we're going to start getting into what um, the Christmas hope past is explained how he is starts putting this all together. He's described it with joy, with light, referring to you, referring to the harvest and what it's going to feel like. Um, the fact that it's, it's God that's the one that's doing this, just as he delivered Midian. Now look at verse 5. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. Now, we know that this is intense. How do we know? Because that word tumult is there. I really don't know how to describe tumult, but it just sounds like a really incredible word, tumult. You know? And so this is a serious, intense battle 
that's taken place. But what does he say? He says, okay, but now you're going to burn, take off your boots, burn the the garments, burn the blood-soaked garments. What does that mean? What he is referring to is the battle has been won. Midian has been conquered. The battle has been won. Just as a soldier, they, 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 they share the spoils. They celebrate the victory. The, the battle's been won. We can burn all the bloodstained garments. You can get rid of your boots. You can get rid of all that. Throw it in a fire because guess what? It is finished. I have to confess, I was reading all this And one movie just kept popping into my head. And it was C.S. Lewis's movie or book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And as I was reading this over and over, I kept thinking of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And how for a hundred years, hundred years, Narnia's in in darkness there in winter. And the wicked witch of the north, she's conquering, she's conquered, and she's in control but what's interesting is many of the people of Narnia had faith and belief in who was to come, Aslan. And, and what I love about that movie, and there's this one scene at the very end. If you've seen the movie, you might know what I'm talking about. At the very end, the battle's going on. They are going to be defeated. The Wicked Witch, is they have out, they're outnumbered, but here comes Aslan at the last minute, and they win the battle. Aslan wins the battle. And Aslan says at the end, you know what he says? It is finished. And when you look around at that moment, and they had to do this on purpose, but at that moment you look around, the fields are clear. There's no more enemies laying around. There's no dead bodies. It's all just been cleared away. It is finished. And there is going to be Isaiah is saying there is going to be a day when the battle, the victory has been won, and, and, and we can burn the bloodstained battle clothes. We can get rid of our boots because the battle will have been won. There will be victory. It is finished. And this is the most amazing part. I want you to get this. As far as the east is from the west, your sins are forgiven. It's been paid The price has been paid, and we no longer have to carry shame or guilt. And there is nothing worse than going into a season like Christmas, as we're going into, carrying shame and guilt. Because it's been done, taken care of for us. And all we have to do is accept and receive what's been taken care of for us. And that is amazing. That's exciting. i got to move on. So we see that he uses this, um, this illustration of war to explain what's going to take place. But now we get to verse 6. Now he really gets into detail of explaining the hope of Christmas past. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, at this point, for to us a child is born, we, we've heard that a million times. If we've grown up in church, we hear that. How, think about how many long you've been living and how many Christmas pageants you've been to and how many Christmas Eve services you've been to. Holy moly, it's, it, it's there. You say a child is born and, you're, and you've been in church, you know exactly what they're talking about. 
For Israel, knowing that there was going to be a Messiah coming that was going to liberate them and a king that was going to come. And what we see Isaiah doing here is he is portraying this child. Now he starts using, he's directing and explaining who the light is, who this person that's going to bring joy is. Um, the you, he uses you several times. Now we see who he's talking about. It's this child, this child that we know as Jesus Christ, that God is going to send as a child. Now here's the interesting thing. God could have sent Jesus as an angel. God could have sent Jesus as a full-grown, bearded man. But he didn't. Because had he done that, Jesus would have missed out on being human. Jesus grew up from a weak, helpless baby whose parents had to flee because of persecution. From the very get-go of Jesus' life, it was not easy. And so we see that Jesus, as a very baby, as a child, he grows, he has favor with man and God, and he grows into this man that goes out and starts a ministry at the age of 30 years old. God had a major time of preparing for Jesus from zero to 30 of just developing and growing as a human being, and then he goes out to start his ministry at the age of 30, and we know that at 33, 33 and a half, he goes to the cross, dies, rises from the grave, it is finished, conquers death and sin, and here we are today, thousands of years later, celebrating this incredible, incredible thing that took place. For to us a child is born, and it's something that God has given. It wasn't something that just happened, but it was a plan. It was God's purpose and plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only son, that whoever believes should not perish but have eternal life. It was a God-given thing. God gave up his son for us. And we get to celebrate that. And Isaiah is preparing Israel for this, for this moment that's going to come. Now, he gives Jesus these titles, these names. And he gives them to them because the title was given to a king. And so we see right away that Jesus is a king. And Jesus is, is, is being a king. Um, he has these titles. And these titles aren't just official titles, but they're actually titles that declare, that reflect Jesus' character and Jesus' nature. He is a wise counselor. He is mighty God. He is prince of peace. He is everlasting father. And what I want to do, because I can sit here all, all, for a long time and try to explain these to you, but I'm just going to read two passages that are going to do a way better job of explaining than I will. First one is found in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 6 through 8 says this, Who though he was, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the very form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I'm just going to pop over to Colossians. Check out Colossians 1. 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I could keep reading on and on there. But what we see here is Paul, Paul is describing, explaining who this Jesus Christ is going to be, who this child is that's going to be born, who he's going to be. He is going to be God. And Isaiah is preparing Israel for this future king that's going to come and rule and make things right. And what's amazing about that is in the future, he's going to make things right in a whole new way. And it says here at the end that he's going to rule with righteousness and justice. But what I want to focus on today is this. For Isaiah, as he's communicating this to Israel, and they're hearing judgment, and now all of a sudden, but there's hope. And I want to invite you right now to stop and think. In your life, maybe there's shame, maybe there's guilt. Maybe there's darkness. Maybe there's gloom. Maybe you're looking at this world today and you're going, man, what's there to hope for? Physically, when we look around sometimes, yeah. But spiritually, but Jesus is the conqueror. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter how hard things get, we have a Savior. We have hope in Jesus Christ. And going back to the very beginning, it's based on faith. Am I willing to transfer my faith into trusting in the system, trusting in my own little kingdom that I've built for myself, and transferring that trust and faith over to, I'm going to trust in this child that was born, this child that was given for a purpose for creating a new kingdom that he has invited me to live in and be a part of. Let's pray. Father, this passage is amazing. <laughs> Lord, I could stand up here all day just talking about this because it's just so cool what you did for Israel, the lessons that you were teaching them, and Father, I know that you've got lessons for each one of us. You have things that you want to deal with in our lives. And so, Father, right now, uh, I just pray that we would not look at the darkness. We wouldn't look at the hopelessness that sometimes overwhelms us, but that we would look at the light. And that light is your Son, Jesus Christ. And so today, Father, in this Christmas season, as we move towards celebrating the birth of your son, Jesus, Father, we declare and we choose, Jesus, you are Lord, you are King, and you want to be our King, you want to be our Lord. And so this season, we surrender everything to you. We open our hands, we open our hearts and minds and say, Jesus, fill us 
we surrender and, and we choose to follow the light. Jesus, you are the light of the world. And you said, whoever follows me does not walk in darkness and will have life. And so, Jesus, this morning, we choose life. We choose you. And we just want to honor and praise you for your goodness to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at the Grove Church Official, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.